Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. My name is Sean Sears. I'm the lead pastor, and I'm really, really glad that you guys are here. Uh, raise your hand so everybody in the room can see uh, if you are ready for Christmas. Raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand so everybody else can see if you're ready. All right, put your hands down. Raise your hand if you are not ready for Christmas yet. Anybody not? Okay, put your hands down. Uh, who is ready to get your presents? Raise your hand if you're ready to get your presents. I just want to, just want to, okay, all right, let me see. Uh, man, Christmas is my, it's, it is my favorite holiday of the entire, of the entire year, has been uh, my entire life. I love, give, I love giving presents, uh, but if I'm going to be really honest, uh, pr- I don't know if a preacher's allowed to say this, I like getting presents a little bit more. Then Gary, is that inappropriate for me to say? Am I allowed to be that honest uh, here? Uh, listen, if this is your first time, uh, I know there's a lot of other great churches you could have been at for Christmas this year. So the fact that you're at this one uh, this weekend is a really big deal, and, and we're glad for it. But we give Christmas presents every year as a reminder to ourselves of the present that God gave to us on that first Christmas Does anybody know, any of you kids in the room, does anybody know what the very first gift that God gave us on the very first Christmas is? Say it. Who is it? It's Jesus. You're right. Jesus is the very very first gift that was ever given for Christmas. And now here we are all these years later, still giving births. uh, Excuse me. (laughs) I'm not giving birth to nobody. I'm not giving birth to no. Still giving gifts, right, on his birthday to each other as a reminder of the gift that God, God gave to us. What you, and I think everybody knows that. Every, everybody knows that you give gifts and you get gifts at Christmas. Um, but you, what you might not know is that Christmas, the birth of Jesus, is not the very first time Christmas is referenced in the Bible. Uh, you may not know this, but it's actually referenced on the third page, depends on what Bible you have, the second or third page of the entire Bible, all the way back at the beginning, uh, in the very, the very first book and the first couple of chapters, you find out that Christmas is, is referenced or hinted at for the very first time. So the Bible opens up with, with the scripture saying that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So a, a perfect God made a Perfect heaven and the earth, and he put perfect people on this perfect world. So God, who is, who is holy, who is spotlessly clean, who is all loving, uh, and who is the source of all that is good, the source of life, like all of that, like created a world that, just like that, that was spotlessly clean, that was holy, that was pure, that was, that was perfectly good, and then he created people the same way. They were perfect, they were holy, they were spotlessly clean, and they were holy all the way through good. But then God gave them a choice on whether or not they wanted to keep loving him back. And guess what they chose? They chose not to. And the natural consequence of turning away from the source of all that is good is that they found that they had now brought all that was bad into the world. And when they turned their back on the source of life, they found that they had created a world that was now going to experience death. And when they turned away from the source of all that is holy and pure, they found that they had created everything that was evil and impure. So God, being a good and loving God, sat them down and explained to them the consequences 
of this choice. He told them that now they were not going to have good and perfectly clean hearts, but that their hearts had gone sour and their consciences had become guilty, that they were going to experience feelings that God never intended them to experience, that they would now, rather than being born perfect and holy, right, they were going to be born selfishly motivated and inwardly pointed. And if you've ever babysit a kid or your little brother or little sister, if you've ever had a child, you know that you don't have to teach children to be angry and to hit and to hurt and to take and to lie. You don't have to teach people to do this. We're, we're born with an instinct towards inappropriate selfishness. You have to teach your children, you have to teach a child to do things that are contrary to their nature, like to be loving and to forgive and to be kind and to share. These things don't come naturally to us anymore. And that was the consequence of us turning from God. God also said that one of the things that was going to happen is that generation after generation after generation after generation, we were going to continue wandering farther and farther and farther and farther from Him, and we were going to keep doing worse and worse things. And when God gives them all of this horrible news, he gets to the end of that and says, but I will not leave you like this forever. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the very first book of the entire, the, the entire Christian and Jewish Bible says that someday a child will be born to a woman it's the only time in the whole Bible where a baby is referred to as the child of a woman and not a child of the man, hinting that there wouldn't be a man involved. There would be a baby that would be born to a woman. This baby in its death would destroy the authority of evil in the world. That's all the way back at the beginning. That this baby would be a rescuer of all humankind. Now, there, this baby was going to come through some family. And generations go by. And God finds this guy and he says, do you believe me? And this man said, yes, I believe you. And God said, do you believe me enough to trust me? And this man said, yes, God, I trust you. Do you believe me enough to trust me, enough to obey me with the rest of your life? And this man said, God, I will follow you no matter where you take me, how far I have to go or what it costs. And God says, because you believe in me, through you, this rescuer will be born. And all of the nations of the world will be blessed. Now, that man is very famous. His name is Abraham. And Abraham and all of his children and all of his children's 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 children were intended by God to be a picture to the rest of the world of what it looked like to live in a relationship with God until the rescuer gets here. And they came up with a name for the rescuer. The Hebrew name for rescuer is Messiah. So that's what they called the rescuer. The baby that was promised to Adam and Eve, and then again was promised to Abraham, their ancestor. Every generation talked about, when will the rescuer get here? And the more broken the world got, the more they prayed, God send the rescuer. God send the Messiah. God, God send the rescuer. And while they were waiting, they were supposed to be a good example to the rest of the world. And sometimes... They were good examples to the rest of the world of what it looked like to follow God, and sometimes they were really bad examples. And whenever they were really bad, God would send them a messenger to get them back on track again. These messengers that God sent were called 
prophets. So these prophets would show up and they would tell them what God wanted them to do in order to stop being bad and start being good again. And every once in a while, these prophets would give hints as to who the Messiah, who the rescuer was going to be. The rescuer, according to Samuel, would be somebody who would be a great, 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 great grandson of King David. Another one of these prophets said that this baby, the rescuer, when he does show up as a baby, will be born without a human father. God was going to be his father. That's in Isaiah chapter 6. Another one said that not only would he be a baby, but he would be God as a baby. I'm going to let you actually see where that's written in the Jewish Bible. Isaiah chapter 9, if you've got your Bible, verse 6 says this. For a child, that's talking about the same baby that would be born to the woman who would rescue all of, all of humankind from all the evil in the world. A child is born to us. A son is given to us. And this is the very first time that Abraham's family finds out that the baby that's going to be born is actually going to be a little boy instead of a little girl. They didn't know. It's going to be a little boy. It's going to be a little girl. And none of the messengers ever knew. Until Isaiah gets here, he says, not only will the Messiah, the rescuer, show up as a baby, but he's going to show up as a baby boy. So that's, now we know. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Hold up. Wait a minute. What? The rescuer was going to show up as a baby. We've known that for a while. But this wasn't just going to be a baby this was going to be God as a baby. This baby would be called the Wonderful Counselor. The baby would be called the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father as a baby. He would be born, according to the messenger, the prophet Micah, he'd be born in Bethlehem when he showed up, and he would be a light to the Gentiles. Now, there were a lot of different Jewish prophets that said he would be a light to the Gentiles, a light to the Gentiles, a light to the Gentiles, because it was very important to God that all of the family of Abraham knew that everybody had access to God, not just them, but it was going to be them through whom God was going to send the one to rescue everybody, light to the Gentiles, but he wasn't going to have an easy life. The messengers, the prophets also said that he wasn't coming just to start a new holiday in December. That's not why he came. He actually had a reason for coming. And the reason why he had come was to fix what mankind had broken. Because what mankind had broken was us. The Bible teaches us that every single one of us will stand before God on Judgment Day. And he will ask, not how good were you versus the next person in line. He's going to ask you, are you innocent or guilty of breaking my laws and being selfish towards your fellow man? And every single person in this room will have to say the same thing I'm going to have to say. I'm guilty. And if God is holy, and if God is good, and if God is just, he cannot let people who are guilty of being bad go free. But because he's a God of love, he would let somebody who's innocent take their place. Because truthfully, that's the only person who could take the place of somebody who's guilty. I couldn't take your place in judgment before God because I have my own 
sin against God, sins against my fellow man to pay for. The only person who can take the place of somebody who is innocent, excuse me, of somebody who is guilty, is, I just gave you the answer, you better get this right. The only person who can take the place of somebody who's guilty is somebody who is. The only person who can take the place of somebody who's bad is somebody who is, but who here is good. That's why we needed Jesus. But if Jesus was just a man, then one man's life could pay for how many other people's lives? One. But if this baby is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God as a baby, how many people's lives is God's life worth? All of them. And that's what he came for. Isaiah goes on to say this about the rescuer taking our punishment from God so that we wouldn't have to be. Watch this. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. He was despised, talking about the baby who would be born to the woman. It's going to be a baby boy. It's going to be God as a baby boy. He was despised. He was rejected. He's a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and we looked the other way. And every generation has been doing that. And it's going to keep happening. Every generation, people turn their backs on Jesus. Every generation, people turn away from Jesus. Every generation. We turn our backs on him and we look the other way. He was despised and we don't care. And the next generation won't care. And the next generation won't care. And the next generation won't care. Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried, that he took on himself. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away, and we keep straying away, and we keep straying away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, and this describes all of us. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. David, who was both one of the most famous kings in all of human history, definitely the most famous of all the Jewish kings, was also one of those prophets, one of those messengers. And he said in Psalm chapter 22 that when the rescuer died in his death, he would be pierced in his hands and in his feet. But David the prophet also said in Psalm chapter 10 that when he died, he would not be dead long enough to decompose. Says he would raise from the dead. And that's what we celebrate on Easter. But all of the family of Abraham and anyone else who knew about the rescuer, the Messiah, was left wondering, when is he going to get here? When is he going to get here? And the world keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And people keep being bad and bad and bad. And everybody's wondering, when is the rescuer finally going to get here? And to tell the next part of the story... We're going to go to a video that comes from the book that we give all the parents when they dedicate their babies here at Grace Church. He's here. Everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people just as he promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? 
Mountains would have bowed down, seas would have roared, trees would have clapped their hands, but the earth held its breath. As silent as snow falling, he came in, and when no one was looking, in the darkness, he came. There was a young girl who was engaged to a man named Joseph. Joseph was the great, 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 great grandson of King David. One morning, this girl was minding her own business when suddenly a great warrior of light appeared, right there in her bedroom. He was Gabriel, and he was an angel, a special messenger from heaven. When she saw the tall, shining man standing there, Mary was frightened. You don't need to be scared, Gabriel said. God is very happy with you. Mary looked around to see if perhaps he was talking to someone else. Mary, Gabriel said, and he laughed with such gladness that Mary's eyes filled with sudden tears. Mary, you're going to have a baby, a little boy. You will call him Jesus. He is God's own son. He's the one. He's the rescuer. The God who flung planets into space and kept them whirling around and around. The God who made the universe with just a word. The one who could do anything at all was making himself small and coming down as a baby. Wait. God was sending a baby to rescue the world? But it's too wonderful, Mary said, and felt her heart beating hard. How can it be true? Is anything too wonderful for God? Gabriel asked. So Mary trusted God more than what her eyes could see, and she believed. I'm God's servant, she said. Whatever God says... I will do. Sure enough, it was just as the angel had said. Nine months later, Mary was almost ready to have her baby. Now, Mary and Joseph had to take a trip to Bethlehem, the town King David was from. But when they reached the little town, they found every room was full. Every bed was taken. Go away, the innkeepers told them. There isn't any place for you. Where would they stay? Soon Mary's baby would come. They couldn't find anywhere except an old, tumbled-down stable. So they stayed where the cows and the donkeys and the horses stayed. And there, in the stable, amongst the chickens and the donkeys and the cows, in the quiet of the night, God gave the world his wonderful gift. The baby that would change the world was born. His baby son. Mary and Joseph wrapped him up to keep him warm. They made a soft bed of straw and used the animal's feeding trough as his cradle. And they gazed in wonder at God's great gift, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Mary and Joseph named him Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us because, of course, he had. Isn't that good? That was awesome. Uh, Jesus came into the world 
in perfect timing and took the world exactly as it was with the intention to help it become what it was meant to be. And in the exact same way, I honestly believe that God's intention is the same with you and me. That God intends and is willing to take you exactly as you are, take me exactly as I am, and help put me back to the way that God intended me to be all along. Jesus took all of our sin on himself. He paid for every bit of it in his death and rose from the dead with new life to give you and me a new life also. While this gift is for everyone, it does not belong to everybody. In the same way, I could purchase a gift for every person in this room. In fact, check under your seats, right? I'm just kidding. I don't have any gifts. You're like, oh, man, it was going so good. Now I'm all disappointed. But if I had bought a gift for every single person in this room, and I placed it under your chair, you would only have that gift, even though it was for everybody, it would only belong to you if you reached under the chair and what? Took it. So while God's gift to all of mankind is for every single person in humankind, the only people who have it are those who receive it, which is exactly what St. John said in his narrative of the life of Jesus in the very first chapter. In John chapter 1, verse 10, here's what he said about Jesus. He came into the very world that he created, but the world did not recognize him for who he was. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all, how many is all? All. Everyone. It doesn't matter what your background is. You could be from a Christian family, a Baptist family, a Catholic family, a Mormon family, a Jewish family, a Muslim family, a Buddhist family, a no religion at all family. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter how broken your life is. To all who, what does it say? Believed him and accepted him, he gives the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And that's why this gift is so great. It is for every person who has ever lived, and it is available to every person who will choose to accept that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the only thing that pays off their debt before a holy, righteous, and just God, who then will turn from that sin, calling on God to forgive them and save them from it, to follow after Him, to believe in Him, and then to accept him, his role in their life. Not a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. That's why the gift is for, so great. 
Because those who receive this gift find out that their bad hearts are healed. Their broken hearts can be put back together. Their guilty and dirty consciences can be made clean. He calls us to stop living for ourselves and our glory, to start living for his and for the good of others. He brings us back to our creator and puts us back on the path he intended us to walk from the beginning. The question I want to finish with is what if the best Christmas gift you have ever or ever will be offered is still unopened? It would be absolutely horrible for you to spend the rest of your life getting this close to being reconciled to God and to miss it. Only to spend the rest of this life disconnected from God and then die and enter eternity the exact same way. Disconnected from God. I cannot think of a greater regret or a worse tragedy than to spend the rest of eternity in that condition knowing that you had this chance right now to find your way back to God. The only thing keeping you from Him is you. He's done all the hard parts. All you and I have to do is get to the place where we will stop running from Him. Where we will be honest enough to admit that I am broken. That I have sinned against a holy and righteous and just God. And that my sins have separated me from Him. When I get to that place, then my heart is soft enough to accept that while I would never ask Jesus to die for me, since he volunteered, I would be crazy to ignore it. And it's in that moment that I have the opportunity to bow my head and ask God to save me too, to be my personal rescuer from my personal brokenness and reconcile me personally to God again. Maybe there's already been a point in your life where you've come to that. But if you're going to be completely transparent, it's almost as though at some point in your past, you laid your gift down on the side of the road and kept walking. And maybe what you need to do this Christmas is go back to the place where you set it down and just pick it back up. Maybe your prayer is, God, I'm tired of running it didn't work so good on my own without you. And I'm ready for you to become a part of my life again. Bring me home. Or maybe you're in a whole different category. And you're not even sure the gift is real. Or that it's for you. And what I would like to challenge you to do is to give one full year Giving God an honest chance to change your mind. In the scheme of the rest of your entire life and all of eternity, if there is a God, on the off chance that there is a God, 
And he's real and he's personal and Jesus is who he says he is. What is one year compared to all of the rest? Doesn't have to be at this church. Find some church. Put yourself in a place where you can honestly have a credible opportunity on a regular and consistent basis for God to begin speaking into your heart if he wanted to. At the end of a year, if there's nothing, there's no, right? But I'm asking you to give God one legitimate shot at your life over the next year. And I, I don't know where you are on that spectrum. My hope is that you just are willing to consider that God wants you personally to open up the gift he laid down his life to make available to you. So if you would, bow your head with me and I'll give you the chance to pray and talk to him. Not out loud, but pray silently. You talk to God. I think of praying like writing a letter. Dear God, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. If you're not sorry, don't say it. But if you are, tell him. I admit that I'm broken on the inside. I admit that I have not kept your commandments, and I have been selfish to other people, and I do know that if you are good and just and holy, I'm not going to get away with that forever. I accept that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection pays off my debt in full, and while Jesus, I would never ask you to do that for me since you volunteered, I'd be crazy to ignore it, so take away my sin too. Can you make that your prayer? Dear God, take away my sin and fix my heart. Clean all the dirty spots. Bring your light into every single dark corner of my entire life. God, I am giving you me if you'll take it. Can you make that prayer? Scripture says in Romans chapter 10, for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus, save me. Maybe you've already been to that place and you've kind of been wandering off. Maybe you're ready to come back and your prayer is, God, I'm tired of running and I'm ready to come back. Clean my heart. Give me better want-tos from now on. Give me the want-to to stay on the right path. Or maybe your prayer is, God, I'm not even sure if you're there. But if you are, I'm open to the idea of that. Can you pray that? I will give you a shot to change my mind. God, I'm asking for your will to be done in each one of us so that your will can be done through each one of us. This is, I hope, the prayer of everyone here. And we ask this in the name of Jesus and we all say together,